Chapter 11 of To London Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. To London Town by Arthur Morrison. Chapter 11 The red paint pot and a blue one from the same quarter, together with a yellow one from the neighbours on the other side, a white one from an old lighterman in the house behind, and a suitable collection of brushes subscribed by all three, were Johnny's constant companions till the end of that weary week. The shop shutters grew to be red with a blue border. The window frames were yellow, the wall beneath was white, so was the cornice above, and the door and the doorposts were red altogether, because the red paint went farthest, and the red pot had been fullest to begin with. Not only did the length of the job work off Johnny's first enthusiasm, but its publicity embarrassed him. Perched conspicuously on a stepladder, painting a shop in such stirring colours as these, he was the cynosure of all wayfaring folk, the target of whatever jibes their wits might compass. Three out of four warned him that the paint was laid on wrong side out. Some, in unkindly allusion to certain chance splashes, reminded him that he hadn't half-painted the window-panes, and facetious boys, in piteous pantomime, affected to be reduced to instant blindness by sudden knowledge of Johnny's brilliant performance but he was most discomfited by those who merely stood and stared, invisible behind him. If only he could have seen them, it would not have been so bad. The oppressive consciousness that some contemptuous grown man behind and below, possibly a painter by trade, was narrowly observing every stroke of the brush, shook his nerve and enfeebled his execution. Most of these earnest spectators seemed to have no pressing business of their own, and their inspections were prolonged. One critic found speech to remark as he turned to go his way. Well, you are making a bloomin' mess up there. But most, as if at a loss for words by mere amazement, sheared off with, Well, blimey! It was discouraging to find that all these people could have done it so much better. And, long before the job was finished, Johnny was sore, depressed, and very humble, as well as tired. Only one of all his witnesses offered help, and he was a surprising person, very tall, very thin, and very sooty from work, with splay feet, sloping shoulders, a long face of exceeding diffidence, and long arms, which seemed to swing and flap irresponsibly with the skirts of his long overcoat, and to be a subject of mute apology. He saw Johnny tiptoeing at the very top of the steps, making a bad shift to reach the cornice. He stopped, looked about him, and then went on a step or two, stopped again, and came back, with a timorous glance at the shop window. And when Johnny turned and looked, he said, in a voice scarce above a whisper, Can't you reach it? Not very well. Let's come. And when Johnny descended, the long man, with one more glance about the street, went up three steps at a time, and laid the paint on rapidly, many feet at a sweep. He came down and shifted the steps very easily with one hand, and they were heavy steps, went up again, and in three minutes carried the paint to the very end of the cornice. Then he came down, with a sheepish smile at Johnny's thanks, and shambled as far as next door, where he let himself in with a latch-key. And on Friday at dinner-time, perceiving Johnny's progress from his window on the upper floor, he was a lodger, it seemed, he came stealthily down and gave the cornice another coat. On Saturday morning the shop was opened in form, though Johnny's painting was not finished till dusk. Very little happened. A few children stopped on their way and stared in at the door. The first customer was a boy from among these, who came in to beg a piece of string, and infested Harbour Lane for the rest of the day, swinging a dead rat on the end of it. 
hours passed, and Nan May's spirits fell steadily. A few pounds, a very few, they could scarce be made to last three weeks, was all her reserve, and most of her scanty stock was perishable. If it spoiled, it could never be replaced, and unless people bought it, spoil it must. What more could she do? Industry, determination, and all the rest were well enough, but when all was said and done, nothing could make people come and buy. Near noon, the second customer came, a little girl this time. She wanted a bottle of ink for a halfpenny. There were half a dozen little bottles of ink in a row in the window, but the price was a penny, so the little girl went away. It was a dull dinner that day. Bessie invented ingenious conjectures to account for the lack of trade, and prophesied a change in the afternoon, or the evening, or perhaps next week, or at latest the week after. Her mother could not understand. Customers came to other shops, why not to this one? She had seen nothing of Uncle Isaac since he had come to Harbour Lane, though he knew where to find her. She had hoped he would lend a hand with the painting, or with the display of the stock, but no doubt he had been too busy. True, Johnny thought he had seen him once from the steps, some way down the street, but that must have been a mistake, for Uncle Isaac would not have come so near them without calling, nor would he have bolted instantly round the nearest corner at sight of the boy and his work, as Johnny had fancied he had. The afternoon began no better than the morning. Nobody came but a child, who asked for six penneth of coppers, till about four. Then a hurried woman demanded a penneth of mixed pickles in a saucer, and grumbled at the quantity. She wouldn't come into the shop again at any rate, a threat so discomposing, for was not the woman the first paying customer, that for hours Nan May could not forgive herself for her illiberality, though indeed she gained but a weak fraction of a farthing by the transaction. Half an hour more went, and then there came a truly noble customer. He looked like a bricklayer, and he was far from sober, so far indeed that Johnny on the steps, spying the mazy sinuosity of his approach, got a step lower and made ready to jump in case of accidents. But the bricklayer, conscious of the presence of many ladders, steered wide into the roadway, and there stopped, fascinated by the brilliancy before him. Some swaying moments of consideration resolved him that this was a shop, and after many steps up the curb, and as many back in the gutter, he picked a labyrinthine path among the myriad ladders, narrowly missing the real one as he went, shouldered against the wet doorpost, and stumbled toward the counter. Here he regarded a bladder of lard with thoughtful severity, till Nan May timorously asked what he wanted. Shum for kids, he replied sternly to the lard. Shum for kids. For some moments his scowl deepened. Then he raised his hand and pointed. What washer? he demanded. Lard? That'll do. He plunged his hand into his trousers pocket. That'll do. How much? Seven pence half penny a pound. All right, gives hold of it. He reached an unsteady hand, imperiling bottles, but Nan May was quicker, and took the bladder of lard from its perch. How much? she asked. How much? That's what I want now. You give it here, go on. His voice rose disputatably, and he fell on the bladder of lard with both hands. How much? Nan reflected that it weighed more than three pounds, and that she had paid Mr. Duncan eighteen pence for it. Two shillings, she said. Two shilling, all right. And instantly what remained of the new customer's week's wages was scattered about the counter. Mrs. May took two shillings and returned the rest, which with some difficulty was thrust back into the pocket, and the new customer, 
after looking narrowly about him in search of his purchase, and at last discovering it under his arm, sallied forth with a wipe against the other doorpost, and continued his winding way. A solemn and portentous bricklayer, with red paint on his shoulders and whiskers, and a bladder of lard that slipped sometimes forward and sometimes backward from his embrace, and was a deal of trouble to pick up again. Here was a profit of sixpence at a stroke, unlikely as the chance was to recur, and it raised Nan's spirits, unreasonably enough. Still, the bricklayer brought luck of a sort, for there were three more customers within the next hour, two bringing a halfpenny and one a penny, and in the evening five or six came, one spending as much as fourpence. This was better, perhaps, but poor enough. At ten that night Nan May reckoned her profit for the day at ninepence farthing, including the bricklayer's sixpence, and she was sick with waiting and faint with fear. At half-past ten Uncle Isaac turned up. Ahem, <coughs> he said. Been painting. Might have laid it on a bit evener. There's right ways of laying on paint, and there's wrong ways, and one way ain't the same as the other. He raised his finger at Johnny instructively. Far from it and contrary, there's a great difference. Uncle Isaac paused, and no further amplification of his proposition occurring to him, he turned to Mrs. May. How's trade? he asked. Nan May shook her head sadly. Very bad, uncle, she said. Hardly any at all. And she felt nearer crying than ever since the funeral. Ah, said Uncle Isaac, sitting on a packing case, empty but intended to look full. Ah, what you want's enterprise. Enterprise, that's what you want. What is it as stimulates trade and encourages prosperity to, to the latest improvements? Enterprise. Why is commercial opulentness took, at least, wafted, commercial opulentness wafted round the old world, consequence of what? Consequence of enterprise. Uncle Isaac tapped the counter with his forefinger and gazed solemnly in Nan May's troubled face. Consequence of enterprise, he repeated slowly with another tap. Then he added briskly with a glance at the inner door. Add your supper? No, uncle, Nan answered. I never thought of it. But now you're here, perhaps you'll have a bit with us. Ah, uh, don't mind if I do, Uncle Isaac responded cheerfully. That looks like a nice little bit of bacon. Now a rasher off that and a hegg. Got a hegg? Oh, yus. He saw a dozen in a basin. A rasher off that and a hegg or two would be just the thing. With a drop of beer, wouldn't it? Johnny fetched the beer, and Uncle Isaac had two rashers and four eggs, and he finished with a good solid piece of bread, and the first slice, a large one, out of the Dutch cheese from the counter. Nan May made no more than a pretense at eating a little bread and cheese. When at last the jug was empty, and Uncle Isaac was full, he leaned back in his chair, and for some minutes exercised his lips in strange workings and twistings, with many incidental clicks and sooks and fizzes, while he benignantly contemplated the angle of the ceiling, when at last the display flagged, he brought his gaze gradually lower till it rested on the diminished piece of bacon. Not so bad, that bacon, he observed, putting his head aside with a critical regard. Though perhaps rather more of a breakfast specie than a supper, he laid his head to the other side, as one anxious to be impartial. Yes, he went on thoughtfully, more of a breakfast specie, as you might say. Then after a pause he added, with the air of one announcing a brilliant notion, I believe, yus, I do believe I'll try a bit for breakfast tomorrow morning. If you like, uncle, Nan answered a little faintly. But, but, timidly, 
I was thinking perhaps it'll make it look rather small to, to put on the counter. So it would, so it would, Uncle Isaac admitted frankly, and indeed the remaining piece was scarce of four rashes' capacity. Pity to cut it, as you say, Nan. Thanks, I'll just wrap it up as it is. It'll come in for Monday, too, and that large bit of streaky'll look a deal more nobler on the counter. Uncle Isaac's visit swept away the day's profits and a trifle more. But certainly, Uncle Isaac must not be offended now that things looked so gloomy ahead. Bessie lay and strained her wits far into the night, inventing comfortable theories and assurances, and exchanging them with her mother for others as hopeful. But in the morning each pillow had its wet spot. End of chapter 11